very good morning to you. Here we are gathering around the cross this Good Friday. And if we were there 2,000 years ago, what would we have seen? What would we have felt? What would we have heard? Well, we would have heard over there the soldiers squabbling and fighting and gambling over the clothes of the king, the king who is clothed in perfection. We'd have heard the crowds behind us mocking and scorning and despising, using the very breaths that the Lord of life was giving them. We'd have felt the Middle Eastern breeze in that dark noonday time, catching on our chin with the dust in our face, and we would have smelt a smell. We would have smelt the garbage heap of Jerusalem's city walls caught in the breeze. Jesus, the ruler of all, dumped amongst the rubbish heaps. And then as we, perhaps with Mary, his mother, and John, his dear friend, as we reached forward to touch that wooden cross, we had, we'd have felt the, the sharpness of that wood. We'd have followed the grain up the wood and followed our gaze and be met by a beaten, battered body. The one who is wholeness broken. And if we were there, we would have turned our face away, aghast at the horror before us. And yet, if we were Mary, if we were John, we wouldn't be able to help ourselves but to look again up that broken body to the face of the one there. And what would we have seen in that face? Well, it's not so much what we see. It's what he saw. John continues. John Verse 25, near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to her, woman, here is your son. And to the disciple, here is your mother. We'd have seen lots of all sorts of things. But what is so amazing is that Jesus saw. There he is in the most literally excruciating agony. And he doesn't shut his eyes in self-despair and in resentment. He doesn't look inward in despair. Like we so often do when we face pain. No, no. He opens his eyes and he looks outwards in devotion to others. He saw Mary and John. And what would he have seen as their eyes met Mary, John, through their tears? And as Shakespeare put it, the eyes are the window to the soul. Well, as he looked into Mary's and John's eyes, 
seeing their souls, he would have seen their sorrow and their sadness and their sin just as he sees ours. Jesus Christ, the living one, sees into my soul and yours this very lunchtime. And he looks and he loves and he gives. He, he uses his last breaths to give and to give and to give because see what he says. Woman, here is your son and to the disciple, here is your mother. Here in the depths of his agony, we see the heights of his love. He is thinking of others, giving, giving, giving. At that moment of agony, he can't help but think of others. In the deepest darkness, his love shines the brightest. That's the sort of heart Jesus Christ has, that at his worst, he shines the brightest. And he's so forward-thinking There's no NHS, there's no welfare benefits, there's no state pension for Mary to look forward to. And even then, Jesus is thinking ahead, who's going to provide for her? And so he locks them up in love together to provide for his mum. What an amazing heart Jesus Christ has (laughs) that is outward looking all the time, even at the worst. And what is true then is true still today. Some of us I know, there is suffering and shame and for all of us, sin in our lives. And yet Jesus Christ comes out to us, gives of himself. And look what he does. Look what happens, two things as we stand near the cross, two implications. One is that we can know that we are beloved Look how John describes himself. He's the disciple whom he loved. And of course, John, the apostle, is talking about himself there. But you know, that is what it is to be a Christian. It is to be near the cross again this Friday and to know that there and because of there, we are loved. We are beloved. Love, you know, is such a funny old word, isn't it? It's so sentimental, so frothy, so sort of well-meaning. But love, all of us, in our families, in our friendships, we know that love love is really actually very costly. When someone is in, in before you in need, then to, to help minister to that need, that is going to cost you. It's going to be inconvenient. It might be a burden. It might be draining. And yet you do it for the sake of love, for the good of the other. That's what love does. And this is love at the, at the, nen, at the ninth degree, tenth degree, nth degree. It wants our good and it will do whatever it takes to get to our good. And that's what Jesus is doing in love for John, for me. And so that phrase, the disciple whom he loved, there is... There's room enough in that phrase for you and for me. We can squeeze ourselves into the shoes of John, knowing that actually Jesus Christ 
is one who says, we're a disciple whom we've been loved by him. So we are beloved. And some of us this morning, we doubt that or we forget it or we stray from it. And the plea of Good Friday is Jesus Christ saying, come and see how loved you are, the lengths I've gone to. Beloved, but also belonging. Belonging to him, yes, but also belonging to one another. Because see what happens here. Woman, here is your son. To the disciple, here is your mother. There at the foot of the cross, Jesus is bringing together a new family. That's what happens. When we come near to Christ, we come near to one another. There's a sense of belonging, of family. Brothers and sisters now, as we come to Christ. You know, London, we crave community, don't we? London can be lonely. Even on a bank holiday weekend, some of us, we're not sure what we're doing. No plans, it can be lonely. And we crave it, community. Tomorrow on the park run, people come from all over, they gather. But I, I know it's painful, it's, there's competitiveness. And if you jump ahead of the queue in the timing at the end, you, you don't get grace, you get grumpiness. And then you scatter again. We long for community. But it is here at the foot of the cross where Jesus Christ is creating a new community, a family, brothers and sisters. Which means as a bit later we come to the table, the family table. There's a place with your name on it and a place with my name on it where we can be family together, knowing that we're beloved but that we belong. Belong to him, belong to one another as family. And so the invitation is, as ever, to come. Come. Gather round the cross. John continues and concludes. Later, knowing that everything had now been finished and so that the scriptures would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there, so they soaked a sponge in it, put the sponge on a stalk of the hyssop plant and lifted it to Jesus' lips. When he'd received the drink, Jesus said, It is finished. With that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. It is finished. Three times in the Greek in that section, John is drawing our eyes to that word finished. Everything had been finished so that scripture would be fulfilled or literally finished, completed, come to an end and then at the end it is finished something has been done, completed, accomplished, paid and you know that feeling don't you when something's been paid you know when you come to the end of a tube journey and you tap out and you know you've got enough oyster dosh left and you're welcomed in, the gate's open, you can come in because something's been paid 
Oh, I remember my mum on Sunday afternoons cooking Sunday lunch. And to my shame and my siblings' shame, it would always be her washing up the the pans for years. Isn't that awful? (laughs) But she'd be there scrubbing away. And then from the lounge, maybe you'd hear the drain suddenly draining with water, the, the washing up container on its lid and the tea towel put on the radiator and mum would come into the lounge sitting down with a sigh all done with a cup of tea it's all finished all done and she would sit and relax and be still and Jesus Christ is saying something similar that he has finished something something's been drained and now he sits down And invites us to do the same. With a sigh, it is finished. Notice he says, it is finished. Not I am finished, but it. No, this isn't a cry of defeat. This is a shout of victory. Jesus Christ is in utter command for every second of this moment. He gives up his spirit. Do you notice that? Even his end of his life he is an utter command now it's not he is finished but but it is finished mission accomplished and so what is it what is it that has been finished well a whole host of things (laughs) the perfect life of loving obedience to the father that we never could that that perfect clothing of beauty he's lived that life Finished. The wrath of God against all the sin of the world, my sin and your sin, the sin of history, being put upon his son, bearing our penalty once and for all. That finished. Where sin had left a crimson stain, because of that we are washed white as snow. The eternal plan of God, Father, Son and Spirit from before time began to to restore and renew his broken creation. There in the cross, it's been finished. And the fulfillment of all God's promises down through the centuries to Israel, God's people in the Old Testament, the sacrificial animals, the, the, the Passover lamb, the temple, Jesus says, finished I am the Passover lamb shedding my blood for you he says it is done 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 this time last year I was chatting to an orthodox Jewish lawyer friend uh, the same weekend Easter and Passover as this weekend as well this year and I asked what do you do now to to guarantee forgiveness, to to atone for sin. Now that there is no temple in Jerusalem destroyed in 70 AD, what do you do now? How do you atone for sin? And uh, he was eating his, his kosher meal actually on this plane back from Jerusalem. And he scratched his head and said, hmm, that's a very good question. Lots of answers to that. Okay, but what do you do? He said, well, I do a lot. I pray a lot and I keep this and I keep that but I do a lot I said I asked 
do you know that you, have you done enough? How, how do you know if you've ever done enough? And he looked at me and he said, I don't know. So I do some more. Do, do, do. And into that, Jesus Christ proclaims, done, done, done. It is finished. And you know it's not just my friend who has that instinct to strive and to earn and to perform. I dare say all of us to some degree have that inbuilt heart posture of I have got to pay my way, I've got to earn it, I've got to prove it. And that manifests itself in all sorts of ways. In family life, I've got to get my parents' approval. My grandchildren, I will give them the best gift and I will secure their affections. Or in work, I will smash that target and then I'll get the bonus. Or in my fitness, I will look good and then boom, I'd have made it. All sorts of ways we strive and earn and perform and do. And if that's true on a sort of social, human, psychological level, it's also true spiritually. We feel we have to do something to earn, to secure his favour, his welcome, his love. And Jesus Christ says afresh to each of us <laughs> this Friday lunchtime, please, don't. <laughs> don't do anything. It is done, done, done. It is finished, he says, in love to you and me. It's as if he has done the tapping out at the tube door. He, he's paid for it. And there's no point in me trying to pay for it again. For a start, there isn't any money on my oyster. But also, it's already been paid. You can't add upon something that's already been paid. You just have to step through the open gates into his loving, warming, warm, fatherly welcome. Or it's the Sunday lunch where Jesus Christ, as it were, has hung up the tea towel and says again to me and to you, please, put it down. Don't go into the kitchen. Sit down. Would you please just sit with me on the sofa? I want to be with you. I've done it all. And that's the great invitation this Good Friday, to come and sit and rest in his finished work. Literally, that phrase means it is finished and always will be finished. It's amazing sometimes, Greek. And it's taught us that there is nothing more to pay. He has done it all. The wrath of God against sin, past, present, future, dealt with. Love secured. And so that means two things. It means that we come to him always in humility. It's so humbling, the cross. Because it tells me and it tells you as one, put it, one person put it, the only thing we contribute to our salvation is the sin 
from which we need saving. That's it. That's why, in a moment, we will come with empty hands, bringing nothing but our sin and our shame and our guilt. And he is delighted to take it from us. So it's humbling. But it's also reassuring. Because it tells me that that if I've never earned his favour in the first place, it means I never unearn it either by what I do or don't do. It is a gift of grace, that forgiveness, that affection, that welcome from the Father. (laughs) Of course it is. It's got to be of grace. And so I am secure today, whether I've had a great day or a bad day, because it's finished. And so some of us, I know, we are haunted by sins from years ago. They keep us up at at night. Mistakes made. Things we should have done but didn't. Or some of us... We think about the mistakes we might make tomorrow or the day after tomorrow or the ones that will just blindside us in five years' time. Well, even those in the amazing cosmic work of the cross, Jesus Christ has dealt with. It is finished. And so as we close and sing again in a moment, the great invitation. Again is to come. One old hymn puts it like this. Cast your deadly doing down, down at Jesus' feet. Stand in him and in him alone, gloriously complete. Clothed with his beautiful moral perfection whilst he's clothed in my sinful garments on the cross what a swap what an exchange in love for me for you for any who would come to him so won't you again maybe for the first time for some of us but all of us why don't we come again to him now in the quietness as we prepare to sing